Welcome to Game Over Montreal, everyone. It was uh, an interesting game, but you didn't think they were going to make it that easy, did you? Come on. You've watched this team this season. They had to scare you a little bit, right? I've got an awesome guest with me tonight. I've got Harmon Dial. I'm going to welcome him in right now. How's it going, man? It's uh, it's going well. I'm happy to be talking about uh, talking about a win for the Canadiens. <laughs> yeah, is it uh, happy to not be talking about Vancouver for a while? <laughs> yeah, I mean... It would have been pretty interesting if the Canadians had lost another one and um, Montreal fans would have kind of been in a state of shock and what's wrong with this team because that's kind of exactly what I feel like I've been talking about all season with Vancouver. It's a nice change of pace to be talking about a W for sure. Yeah, it's it's like unfamiliar at this point with this show. Like I, I'm almost not even sure where to start half the like when they actually win because it's it's uh, it's twenty five percent of the time now that I'm doing this show. This is the twentieth show, where and they've won five times. So it's not exactly the season start that uh, anybody expected. I know a lot. We all expected a step back from last season with the players that they lost, but this is uh, this is different. Uh, Canadians went out to a five nothing lead on the Nashville Predators tonight. A lot of guys got off the schneid a little bit. Uh, I think lots of positives to talk about for sure. But uh, maybe before we get into the positives, and we'll carry that through most of the show, let's just get the negatives out of the way. That third period, <laughs> woof. Yeah, and you know, in some ways, I'm a little bit forgiving to that for that, just because a lot of times when you do get a, a big lead, you are going to have score effects kind of kick in, and inevitably, a team down five zero is going to push at some point. I was, if anything, a little bit more concerned by the first period. I felt yes. like that was really important for Sam Montembeau to really step up there. And I thought he bailed the Canadians out on multiple occasions. And after that first period, I was left wondering about where the what which direction the game was going to go in. Because obviously the Canadians came out of the period with the lead. But I had felt that Nashville had, had kind of carried the, the pace of play. I thought they were attacking speed, creating chances off the rush. So if anything, the first period was a little bit more concerning to me. Um, obviously that's where good goaltending um, really helped Montreal out and gave them enough time to where in the second period, they just kind of took over and um, you saw Nashville's game start to fall apart a little bit with their puck management. So <clears throat> I just think, you know, with the third period, I mean, you're, you're going to have moments like that, especially for a team still trying to find their groove. I didn't expect that it was going to be completely seamless so, yeah, while, while it wasn't ideal to have the kind of third period that Montreal did and kind of, um, you know, Matt Duchesne gets a hat trick uh, and, you know, gets, gets you worried a little bit. But at the end of the day, I mean, as, as any team works through the kind of stretch that Montreal is right now, even when you're succeeding, you're going to have bumps and bumps in the road. And if anything, I was a little bit more concerned by the first period than the third. Yeah, I feel like the the first period was more to be expected from what the Canadians have looked like over the last stretch of games. It looked very similar to how they played against Pittsburgh, but they all they got that one nice break there in the first period, uh, scoring the opening goal, which changed things quite a bit. And Sam Montembeau, I I feel bad for him. like I'm glad he got the win, but I feel bad for him that he finally had 
like a great game, like his first career great game in the NHL. And then Matt Deshane's just like, nah, man, <laughs> I'm going to ruin your numbers. I'm just going to wreck it. So it doesn't look like you were that great. And, you know, as much as uh, Deshane was fantastic in that third period, it didn't help that uh, the Canadians were, let, let's say, penalized based on the score a little bit with the Lekin and the Sherratt ones. And I think you could say that on the Sherratt penalty that Jeff Petrie might have deserved a penalty. But to me, that shows like the officials were not very engaged because 26 and 8 don't exactly look alike. <laughs> yeah, and <clears throat> that's the unfortunate part of it, too. And that's when I kind of mentioned score effects. I mean, that kind of just all goes into it a little bit. And yeah, with with Duchesne, I mean, some of it was just like I watched him come into town to Vancouver pretty recently. And Duchesne's been on an absolute tear this season, right? We all know that heading into the season, he's been on one of the league's kind of worst contracts but um when i saw him play in vancouver he was literally slicing through defenses he was a one-man offensive machine that's what he was for nashville in that, in that third period and yeah the canadians could have been a little bit more disciplined and i would have liked to see them get pucks out of their own end a little bit better than they did but ultimately again when you're up 5-0 yeah you'd prefer your team not to get complacent and get in penalty trouble and you know require goaltender to be in a bit of a stressful situation for the last handful of minutes. But I just wasn't too concerned when, when Montreal got, got up on that lead. And even though they started showing cracks and, and that's where a team that's been struggling can, can get tested. I, I don't know what it is. I just felt a certain level of confidence that they were going to pull through. Even when they got to five, three, I, I just, you know, sometimes when a team gets embarrassed, like the Canadians did the other night against against Pittsburgh, you know you're going to get a response out of your group. Um, it's kind of an attack against a team's pride, uh, against your ego, and it's a type of game that guaranteed. You know, the veterans in the locker room are looking at that and going, you know, this is this is a character test for our entire group. And so, even when that bout of adversity came, I just felt even with the way that the Canadians have gone this season and how disappointing the year has been you just when you get embarrassed like they did against Pittsburgh you just expect that they're going to bounce back and be a little bit more resilient against adversity than they perhaps you might expect them to be so ultimately yeah it would have been better if they had um had kind of just blown out Nashville and that's the storyline coming out of it as opposed to now it's just a two-goal win but at the end of the day Montreal just needed a win and, and that's really the importance with these kind of you know, pushback response type type games, that to me is a sign of, you know, that type of response of, of seeing whether a team is, is still in it, whether they've kind of given up because when, again, you lose like that, it, it really, especially for a team like the Canadians that just made the Stanley Cup final, like that's really, that's, that's a deep shot. Um, and if a group can't respond after that, if they have a lackluster response, that to me is a sign that teams may be dead in the water. And look, the Canadians have still dug themselves a massive, massive hole, but at least to have that kind of pushback, you know, just have that kind of offensive outburst. It's been a hard time for Montreal to put pucks in the back of that, especially the guys that did it. Some, some, uh, some players like Dvorak and Gallagher who had kind of maybe gotten off to, and Lekkinen who had maybe kind of gotten off, gotten off to a slower start. I just think it was important to kind of um, have that, um, Again, have that type of bounce back. Yeah, it was. And I there was a quote that came out uh, already after the game with Arturi Lekkinen just 
winning is a lot more fun than losing, which I think that's kind of one of the things that has been not focused on enough during this stretch that they've had such a rough time this year is just getting some fun into that locker room. They have oftentimes looked just so defeated and not even necessarily in terms of like they know that it's going to go wrong during the game because there's been that too, but just there's been no joy. And, you know, like there's been a lot of talk about like maybe the coach should just take them out to go party. You know, like there was a talk about uh, when they had their Halloween party a couple days late because they were on the road uh, over that time and people posted pictures and it was like a dry Halloween party because they had a game the next game or next day. And it was like, nobody really looked like they were having that much fun. It's like, these guys just got to relax a little bit. And the playoffs are pretty much out of the picture at this point. So they can relax and start playing a little bit more loose. And I think this is the the game that you they needed to have. Lekkanen especially, who has been really fantastic, honestly, uh, for most of this season. His underlying numbers are like up along the, among the top of the league. His line, once again tonight, absolutely dominant with Jake Evans. And I believe they flipped sometimes with Gallagher and sometimes with Armia tonight. Uh, depending on the shift, because they were playing 11 forwards and 7D. That was, like, they are a very strong line that really struggles to score, but doesn't really get scored on. And it worked very well in the playoffs, and that line has worked decently well in the regular season, but haven't, you know, had the puck luck. I think that's a big deal for them to finally get one tonight. And uh, Gallagher, I thought has looked looked uh, the best that he's looked all season long. Not only did he score, he didn't get the assist on the first goal, but he kind of made that play with the little backwards skate over the blue line that created the play. And I thought he had more zip in his skating stride than he's had all season long. So the fact that he might actually be healthy now after starting the season, I don't know if it was a groin injury or just something slowing him down in his like his feet or his legs, something. If he's healthy, that also bodes well for them, at the very least, making the season a little bit more entertaining. 100%. And really, I thought that line was by far Montreal's best. And it was important that they had that line kind of step up because even in this kind of win, I thought Montreal's top two lines weren't necessarily at their best. Like Suzuki, uh, Toffoli, and Caulfield, they had their chances, especially in the second period. Um, but I, I don't think that they were necessarily the playing at the level that we saw them in the playoffs, for example, and um, even with the Dvorak line, they scored the second goal. But again, I don't think that they really controlled play particularly well. No, not And really, it was those um, bottom two lines, or I guess b- bottom five forwards, if you will, who really drove the bus, I think, in helping Montreal push the pace of play. And what I really liked about that kind of gallagher in line was they play a really direct style, and they're really annoying to play against really hard to break out against if you're in Nashville where they just attack you with a ton of energy. They're ferocious on the forecheck. They keep things simple. Um, it's, it's not a line that necessarily plays with a ton of flash or, um, you know, necessarily with, with a ton of skill and, and tic-tac-toe plays. But what they do really well is they close space quickly. And I think that's kind of the fabric of what I imagine uh, the peak version of the Montreal Canadiens. It's, Again, it's exactly that. They're not necessarily flashy, but they're really hard to play against. Um, they get on the they get in on the inside, and that's I think one thing that um, really stood out as well is how well they drove, especially through that center lane right to uh, right to Nashville's net, especially off the counterattack. And I think that's just kind of the fabric of what I again think of 
Montreal's identity when they're going at it best is just the simple direct north north south style where they're in coaches speak the 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 hard to play against uh, style and I think you know that line um, did wonders for that and I also really liked uh, you know Armia's had a tough time I thought he looked good uh, Paling obviously chipping in with a couple of goals so I really I really thought the bottom end. And it obviously feels really strange to say that because Gallagher is one of the team's best players. And we all know Montreal is uh, a really well-balanced uh, uh, lineup. So line one to four doesn't, you know, there's not necessarily a, a huge difference like there is maybe for most teams. But um, I thought it was huge for um, those lines to kind of step up uh, at a time where, you know, I still think Montreal's top end um, is still finding their game maybe. Yeah, it's definitely true. I think the Dvorak line especially is really struggling and they do look better now that Duran's back in the lineup, but the way that they attack seems to be very individualistic when Duran's not the one controlling things. And outside of the power play, I feel like Duran kind of struggles to get things going. Uh, his game, it, it needs something else to be added to it. I think at the beginning of the year, that line looked really strong, but uh, Dvorak has kind of fallen off a little bit. And part of that might be confidence. We know he's a better player than he's shown so far this year. He just hasn't been very inspiring. And Anderson, I think he made a fantastic play on, uh, I think it was Dvorak's goal, the the behind the back pass, which oh, yeah. was really incredible and very like under. I don't, that's not the right word. I'm trying to think of the right word, uncommon. For for Josh Anderson, he doesn't make very many passes. He doesn't very, make very many good passes. So it was nice to see him do that a couple times this year. He's made some pretty, pretty big passes, but it's nice to see him add that to his game a little bit. After last year, he was especially after he got hurt. He was like a one and done guy. He would drive wide, try to cut in a little bit and often miss the net or just like get bowled over or run into the post or run into the goalie. And if he didn't score off that play, there wasn't much else that he was going to do. So it's nice to see him diversify a little bit. But that line is still struggling quite a bit. Um, I also really thought that Paling, like he he needs this, right? Like he, he's at the point in his career where he needs to start making some inroads into the into the NHL and having a two goal game. He's got three goals now on the season. Pretty strong statement from him. But I was a little bit confused. And I. I don't want to be too critical because they won 6-3. And I know people want to, you know, uh, enjoy the moment because they've been few and far between moments to enjoy. But there are a few things I think in this game that need to be picked apart a little bit because they are still essentially 5-15, and 15, right? So let's not kid ourselves. This is a team that uh, isn't good. <laughs> you know, like they haven't been good so far this year. They haven't found their stride at all. But Paling, who scored twice in 10 seconds, didn't see much ice after that. And overall in the game, had a pretty strong game after a couple of weak ones. So I'm a little bit surprised that in that third period that uh, Ducharme really didn't give the kids a little bit more ice because as much as they did, did start to blow things a little bit in that third period, with a 5 nothing lead, that's the time that you could trust guys like Paling, trust guys like Norlander, trust guys like Caulfield, and just say, like, go, try to do something fun, develop your game, play against these pros. They're going to be pushing hard. You push hard, too. So it's one of those things that, to me, speaks to, like, the limitations of this coaching staff of what their thinking is. Because, like, again, the 7D situation, 
And I know I'm rambling a little bit on a, a couple different topics. Sorry about that. <laughs> You're going to have to answer a bunch of different things. But uh, the 7D situation to me already says after one game that the coaching staff doesn't trust Norlander very much. And he barely played tonight. Didn't play well. I think that's fair to say. But you got to give him some reps, right? If you want him to be a part of the future, you got to give him some opportunity to shine. And I don't think they did. Uh, even on power plays, it was... Ben Sherratt rolling out there on the power play instead of Norlander. Yeah, that was really interesting to me. I, again, you know, looking at the ice times, you know, you had Norlander at just over 10 minutes right around there. And then um, beyond that, again, you kind of mentioned paling on a night where he potted to under 12 minutes. And, you know, that's one of the really interesting things for me uh, as an outsider you know, we all remember the the hat trick that he had in, in his first game. And for whatever reason, just seems to have been bouncing up and down, obviously, with the farm team as well last season. And even when I look at someone like uh, a Cole Caulfield, who obviously struggled and, you know, I think a lot of us had really high hopes and expectations for him. Um, you know, with the start that he's had, I thought he created a couple of really good chances towards the second period. And again, he only skated 13 minutes. And again, as you kind of alluded to, when you're up 5 nothing, I think that's maybe an opportunity to let some of your young guys gain some confidence because it is going to be a cold Caulfield that if you want any chance at, you know, it may be too late to salvage the season, but to at least make some kind of push, it's going to be, it's going to require someone like a Caulfield or a Paling to kind of take that next step. Um, and that's as the coaching staff, what you kind of have to help instill in players is uh, confidence. You don't want, the last thing you want is for young players to be caught in mindset where they're wondering or, or they're, you know, have reservations about making certain plays um, where they're afraid to make a mistake because they may end up riding the pine uh, because they, they, they believe they don't have enough leash. Right. Um, I've noticed that a lot of times there's a big difference with young players. When you tell them to just go play, you take the shackles off and you really see those players kind of blossom and, you know, try things offensively and play without thinking too much, as opposed to maybe situations like this, where you have guys still not getting a lot of ice time in games where there's an opportunity for them to get more minutes and where they look decent. And, you know, I think those are the opportunities where, you know, those can be confidence building games. And, and that's where a young player can really um, start to realize maybe even how good they are, right? If they're stuck playing 10, 11, 12 minutes a night every game, and all of a sudden they have a two goal game in say Paling's case, and now he's up to 15, 16 minutes playing in the third period. I mean, that can really, I think, go a long way in boosting a guy's confidence. So, um, you know, I think that element is really important. I think, you know, I'm a big proponent that when you're developing young, young players, and you want to be careful about, you know, sheltering them and not putting them in tough positions. But again, up 5-0, you know, if they're playing well, you want to, I think, feed them more minutes. Because again, when you're, you know, stuck in a spot where you don't feel like you have a lot of leash, I think what tends to happen is you start to think more. You're worried about making mistakes. And as we all know in hockey, um, when you're thinking and your game's less instinctual, and that's where you uh, ironically make more mistakes. So um, yeah, if, if hundred percent. If we're going to nitpick something, um, you know, the young guys is maybe ice time uh, could have been bumped higher, especially in that third period. 
Yeah, my go-to is always that hesitation is death when you don't have the puck, right? Like it's it can you can kind of save yourself a little bit when you have the puck. Sometimes a little hesitation can actually fool players, but when you don't have the puck and you're kind of in a situation where you have to decide between two different reads, you hesitate for that split second, you're done. Like you have yeah. to make a choice, you have to commit. And I mean, I think we saw that in the third period from the Canadians. I feel bad for Ben Sherratt because I thought he had a pretty decent game up until that third period. And then he got victimized by Duchenne twice and then got called for a penalty that he did absolutely nothing on. And there were a few comments on the YouTube tr stream asking us to comment on the referees. We kind of already did at the beginning of the stream. Uh, I think Harman brought up a really good point that uh, score effects are for referees too, but that is it kind of brings it back to the whole like game management debate right and that tim peel got let go quietly last year after kind of letting the cat out of the bag of the whole game management thing got getting caught on a hot mic they all do it i think we are all aware of the fact that referees try to manage the game with penalties and that some things get called when a team is leading that wouldn't get called if the game were tied or the other team was leading uh, there was somebody saying that according to the play-by-play -play, that Lekkonen got caught, called for a high stick, uh, but and they were confused because he didn't have a stick. No, he got high sticked. Uh, he got called for holding. It was like you could kind of say he did. I thought he mostly checked the guy and kind of used his elbow a little bit. It was definitely a, a call where if you were to go by the letter of the law, I could see that being holding but it never really gets called unless the team's maybe up five to one or five to nothing. So it's one of those things where, yeah, you can argue until you're blue in the face, but you know, you have to also be even handed with the officials tonight that they called off a goal that was gloved in and they called it off fast. And it was a hard uh, situation to see. Like I didn't see that it was gloved in when it first happened. So imagine if they got that wrong instead of the third period penalty situation. So, you know, there's, there's give and take with officials. I think that I've ranted many times on this show, on my podcast, the cross check NHL show, about how bad officiating is in the league and how we're in the era of the least penalties being called in NHL history, the last nine years. And last season was the season with the fewest penalties per game ever. So like there is an issue there. But I think in this game, you can't focus too much on it. You do have to look at like, you know, they did score twice in the power play. Like you have to kind of give them or t look at the Canadians and say, like, you can also defend like, that first goal by Matt Duchenne. As great as it was, he just walked through four guys like nobody even checked him. He just straight through the middle of the ice, didn't even really have to deke and just kind of like let it go. So like as much as the refs were frustrating, you got to put a little bit of blame there on the Canadians as well, who sat back too much. Yeah. And that's just part of the territory. I mean, you know, uh, you talk about the officiating being, you know, not necessarily up to par. I, I think back to recent game where Vancouver and Colorado, Colorado were playing. There was like a phantom call on Tyler Mott who did nothing on a play and Vancouver, because of that, they went down five on three I think the refs realized they made a mistake. And then as soon as the puck was dropped, they called Nazim Kadri for interference when he was literally just standing. Like he was literally just standing, but just because they had made a mistake, they were like, okay, we got to even this up. And so it became a four on three. So at this point, I mean, you know, all across the league, I think, 
you know, we definitely want these, some of these things to be improved, but from a club level standpoint, you can only, you can only control what you can control and you should only worry about those kinds of things, especially um, in a game where you are leading as convincingly as Montreal was game management, you're going to get docked whether you like it or not. And so in those instances, you just have to kind of take your lumps as they, as, as they kind of come. And in, in Montreal's case, I, I'm glad that they, you know, when they did, when things did get close, when Duchesne got that third one, it was at least good that they were able to buckle down and, and not allow too much more from, from that point on really kind of tighten things up because it would have been really unfortunate if officiating like that would have kind of led to a a meltdown for a, a team that's kind of in as fragile a situation as the Canadians are right now. Yeah, I, I think if they would have end up ended up blowing that lead, there'd be then a lot of debate right been a now. Much bigger story. Yeah, it would have been a very big story, but also, like they would have to be looking inside as well. <laughs> you can't yeah. blow a five five to nothing lead and blame just the the officials, right? Like, there's more to it than that. But it would it would absolutely be a huge story. And th- this is kind of like an aside because we're talking about officiating, but I just want to get your opinion because. Game management and makeup calls to me are two different things, right? Like game management is like uh, an official feels like one team's had too much power in this game. They're too far ahead. So they call penalties for the other team and kind of make things even a little bit. Whereas a makeup call is a referee knows they made a mistake. Like you were talking about with the Canucks game right there. And they, they call Nas Kadri for either a very soft penalty where they're really looking for something or a full-on phantom call. Personally, I don't mind the makeup call, even though it's stupid, but the game management thing really bothers me. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's all about with the makeup call, you're at least kind of, you know, people say two wrongs don't make a right. But I guess in in this sort of, in, in that sort of context, I think it's also crucial to kind of distinguish um, when it comes to, for instance, makeup calls only when there's a very clear mistake. Right. And, and that's where I think it's okay because you kind of screwed one team over you, you kind of want to not make it right, but try and give them a chance to, to maybe get back into the game if they got scored on. But let's say a team's had three power plays and the other team has had zero. That is one of those instances where I don't think that should have any bearing on the team that hasn't gotten a power play yet should be more likely to get one just because they haven't had one. Yeah, That's, 100%. I think, the crucial kind of distinction um, that, um, that I kind of keep in, keep in the back of my mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% with you there. I think there's definitely a feeling that referees have that they have to call it relatively even. And I, I remember a game years and years ago and I, I like still remember the officials to this day. It was uh, Fred LeCayeur and Brad Meyer. And it was a game between the Montreal Canadiens and the Carolina Hurricanes. And they called 11 straight penalties on the Montreal Canadiens. And people were absolutely livid. And the game was like actually very close. Like uh, The Canadiens were outplaying the Hurricanes. They ended up losing, I think, by one goal or maybe two goals and an empty netter. And it was like blistering on social media and like all the fan websites were going nuts. I don't know if it was necessarily fairly officiated, 
but there should be more games like that than there are completely even, right? Like maybe not to that degree, but there should be games yeah. where a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning or hey, the Edmonton Oilers, where Connor McDavid draws like five calls in one game where he's just like on fuego, you know, like he's just absolutely on fire. Guys can't catch up to him and they're just on the power play all the time because team they're facing is forced to cheat, but we don't see it. And I think that's kind of a problem that needs to be addressed in the game. And when I brought this up before, uh, there was a few comments that people were saying like, yeah, in their men's league, the best player in the league gets like slashed and hacked constantly and never draws a call. And they go through like four or five sticks a season as opposed to like other players who can draw calls relatively easy. It is kind of like, it's not anywhere close to the same degree as the conversations about hockey culture we have on the regular right now, but this is a part of hockey culture where like you should be able to cheat against the best guy. That is also a bit of a problem with the on ice product. Yeah. And like, if you're Brendan Gallagher and you're taking a ton of abuse in front, abuse in front of the net, you've drawn a cross checking penalty in the first period. That should not make you any, that should not make Brendan Gallagher any more likely, any less likely, I should say to draw another cross checking call while he's battling in front of the net in say the third period. And I think that's what often happens when you have, you know, top players in the league, whether you want to pick out a McDavid, a, a Matthews or, or even, um, you know, Patterson's struggling now, but he's just an example I can think of two years ago where he was routinely among the league's kind of top penalty drawers. And still there would be so many games where he, he would get tripped and hooked and it wouldn't get called simply because the refs had maybe already given him given him a a, a power play. Yeah, and you've had so, your one. Yeah, you've had your one, right? And so it's and at that point, it's almost like teams know that there's such a low percentage of these kind of uh, obstruction um, plays that get called that you know it's worth the gamble of of holding up a McDavid or or a dry settler or whoever. And I think that kind of bleeds through and, you know, especially I think it just gets worse and worse into the playoffs for sure. Yeah. And I mean, look at what the Jets did last year. Like it was, it was very oh. obvious that that was part of the game plan. There was like a couple guys on there that was essentially McDavid's backpack. You know, it was, it was pretty bad. And I feel like I don't even blame the teams that do that. Like the heyday of the Boston Bruins when they won their Stanley Cup, we're like, we're just gonna hit people from behind. We're gonna cross check. We're gonna hit. We're gonna hit guys when they don't have the puck. Interfere constantly, and they're like, they they can only call so many penalties, and their penalty kill was really strong. So they're like, we're fine. We've got two strong goaltenders. We'll just cheat as much as it takes, and maybe we'll injure a couple guys in their team while we're at it. As a Vancouver guy, you know full well. That team got away with it. You can't even really blame the team. It's the league that facilitates that behavior. And like I went on the on my podcast and I was talking about like you look at since 0708 on like evolving hockey, right? And you can look at what players draw the most calls per 60 minutes since that time, like in single seasons. And I went through and I was like, McDavid's best penalty drawing season, where was it? And it ranked 190th. Of players with 300 plus minutes in single seasons, 190th. And the top guys were all like Patrick Coletta four or five times, Dan Carcillo, Dustin Brown, and like all these guys who were like either agitators or at, if you want to be less 
charitable cheap shot artists. And it's like, it's clear what they're doing is ignoring the first thing and then calling the retaliation. And I feel like that's something that the NHL clearly does. That isn't like a bit of an issue, right? Like if, if you're just letting the first thing go all the time and, and calling the retaliation, you are encouraging people to do the first thing. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can still hear you. Your video just went off. Okay. Yeah, no, sorry. My headphones just, uh, just died. So oh, I'm okay. switching <laughs> off to, uh, to just my, uh, regular audio off my phone. Sorry. I was oh, just, no worries. uh, just making sure. Um, sorry. I missed the, the last couple minutes. There. I was panicking, trying to figure <laughs> out what to do with my audio. It's all right. I'll repeat myself. So basically I was saying like, I went through, you heard the McDavid stuff, right? That he was yes, 190th. Yes. Okay. So basically I went through and I looked at who were the top players at drawing calls. And it was like Patrick Coletta, Dustin Brown, Dan Carcillo, and all guys of that nature with like uh, Sidney Crosby in Oh nine or something up there. Like only one or two star players in like the top 60. And it's very clear from the profile of player who draws calls that what they do is allow the first thing and then call the retaliation. But if that's the way that the NHL operates, then essentially they're encouraging the agitation and like agitators can be fun. Don't get me wrong. Like everybody loves their own team's agitator, but if you're actively encouraging the first dirty play and then punishing the response, you're going to get, a worse on ice product for sure. And you know, that's where I think back to whether it's like any of the Kachuk brothers or um, in, Van- in, in Vancouver, it used to be Antoine Roussel who just always drew a ton of penalties because he would cause havoc everywhere. And um, you know, you'd have penalties both ways, but also and this was something that Jeff Fayette um, kind of pointed out before was, you know, whether it's intentional or not, but Tampa had kind of like almost built their built their organizational strategy around we don't mind being a high event team with penalties because our special teams are just so good. And so you'd have them kind of bring in the likes of Patrick Maroon and they would take a ton of penalties, but they also knew that if we're taking a ton of penalties, we're going to draw a ton of penalties and have a lot of power plays. And that's where we're a lot better than other teams on uh, on the man advantage. So that's kind of a competitive advantage. Whereas I remember a couple of years ago, and this is just the top example that comes to mind because Toronto was always the loudest about this, but Toronto just wouldn't get calls. And yes, a big part right. of it was, I think, because they didn't have the same level of agitation. Um, they were a lot more of a straight up five on five team. And so even though they felt that they deserved a lot of calls, um, they just wouldn't get them. Whereas a team like Tampa that had kind of embraced the agitation style to a certain extent. Um, you know, I even remember guys back in the day, like, uh, Pat and, um, the likes of, uh, of, of him, you know, they, they would get it. They would still get a ton of power plays and it suited them well because, you know, you give an elite power play so many chances, you know, you'll take that any, any day of the week, even if it means you have to kill off uh, an extra couple of penalties. Yeah. That year where the Leafs couldn't draw anything, that was the first year without Kadri, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they lose a guy who is very, very good at drawing calls, very much an agitator 
and look what happens, right? It kind of trickles down throughout the lineup. And like, in regards to what you said about Tampa Bay, like even their stars, like Braden Point is not afraid to be chippy. I think Nikita Kucherov is like underratedly one of the more dirty players in the league. Like you watch him away from the puck and it's all elbows and stick work. He kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Thomas Placanich, but obviously talent level completely on another scale. Yeah, and you you nailed it with the Kucherov thing. I think a lot of people people's eyes kind of opened up to that, especially through the through the playoffs. And that's kind of you know that Tampa Bay team is almost identity to a certain extent. Not that they're a dirty team, but you know for as much as they have a ton of skill, they're also they also wear you down on forecheck, and that's where you also had you know Gord and you had Goudreau uh, and. Coleman and and just that just that style of we can grind you down as well and they had a ton of size on the back end, um you know obviously ha- having Hedman on uh, Hedman on the back end helps with that. Um, Eric Chernak a big body on the right side for them in the top four. Um, Sergeyev obviously who Montreal fans will be familiar with he loves to lay the body and play chippy style. So uh, yeah, I mean it's just it's just funny how officiating kind of gets to a certain point where where sometimes the level of agitation uh, uh, or abrasiveness with which you play with kind of dictates how many penalties you ironically also draw. Yeah, that is also like one of the things I remember years back, I, th- I found it super interesting to see like there are teams that would have like a decent or poor penalty differential. But you also look at like how frequently calls were actually made in the games that they played. Right. And there is a different dynamic with different teams, like especially on home ice, like some teams you go in and refs are like, well, this is going to be a low penalty game or this is going to be a high penalty game. I find that super interesting. I wish we had some level of access to officials to talk about that kind of stuff. And maybe a guy like Tim Peel, who's kind of starting to enter the media situation here, we'll be able to talk about him. I'm going to try to get him on this show actually, and see if he'll give us a bit of a peek behind the curtain, because I feel like there's so many interesting nuances that we don't get. And not to just like, I feel like everybody wants to crap on the actual officials, but I think the bigger issue becomes what they're told to do. And sometimes it's a lot of mixed messaging. Uh, I, I feel like, when they get told to like crack down on slashes or crack down on cross checks and they call a bunch of those. And then, you know, a couple GMs get upset, send some memos to the league or some emails to the league. Then the league sends out a thing. It's like, okay, tone it down a little bit. Like we saw it uh, with suspensions as well. When Shanahan took over and he just started like laying the hammer down immediately. And then owners were freaking out. GMs are freaking out. And then it wasn't very long until the suspension started to get lightened up quite a bit. So I feel like in a lot of ways, the league is its own worst enemy there. And it's easy to blame the individual guys on the ice, but they're also answering to someone. 100%. And you nailed it in terms of it being a top-down thing where um, I think the the slashing thing is a perfect example where you'd have, you know, in, 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 in the past, so many examples of star players just taking so much abuse to the hands and, now over the last couple of seasons since they kind of you know made it intentional to crack that crack down on those it's almost kind of just to a little bit of an extent gone in the other other direction which is fine i think i'd rather have it 
that way than being a being a situation where star players are taking abuse on uh, on their mitts. But that just goes to show you that I do think the officials can be adaptable in how they kind of perceive and 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 manage games. It's just about what kind of product the league uh, the league wants and. Uh, I, I think I just think in the regular season it's one thing, it's, and especially towards the early early parts, that's when you'll see um, the most penalties. Slowly, yeah. I think the longer a season kind of draws out, the more calls kind of taper off because they kind of want to set a tone uh, uh, at the start of the season, despite them not really um, following through with that. And it kind of just gets worse the longer the season kind of drags out. Um, but yeah, I mean, this this really goes down to a league wide kind of scale and, and what kind of product they want their fans. And obviously there's a fine line too, right? Where none of us want to watch it, watch a, a game where each side has, you know, seven power plays and there's no flow or momentum to a game. Uh, but I do think there also needs to be, you know, some tweaks to um, kind of create a more level playing field, especially in the playoffs for, for some of these, for, for some of these top players. And um you know, the, the, excuse me, the players are smart, right? They're going to adapt to just as, just as the officials do. Um, if, if like, and this is where you had uh, after the uh, 05 lockout, the death of, of so many of those uh, less mobile kind of bigger hulking defensemen that just had no mobility or puck skills. As soon as you took uh, away their ability to obstruct play to a certain extent, those guys started just kind of, vanishing from the league or becoming a lot less effective the kind of luke shen types where you know he used to be kind of you know 20 years ago he would have he would have been the perfect top four defenseman um but in today's game he's a depth guy just because the game's changed and evolved and you know that's i think a lot of that responsibility does come down to the league yeah absolutely and i feel like what one point that you said that really sticks out to me is uh the players are smart and they'll adapt and i think that's kind of my uh, repost against anyone who says like, oh, well, you don't want the entire game to be on the power play. Even if they did crack down exceptionally hard on certain kinds of calls or calls in general, it wouldn't last that long because the result would be things open up at even strength because no one wants to be on the PK all game. So like players will adapt their behavior. And, you know, I, I talk a lot about, uh, power plays going down it's like been one of my things that i've been harping on the last couple seasons and people are like well maybe the game's just cleaner than ever and in some ways it is right but the other thing is players just find new ways to cheat so you have to adapt your officiating strategy as well like yeah okay maybe they're not interfering the same way they were in 2003 at the height of the dead puck era but there's still a lot of interference out there that you could call they're just a lot smarter about it nobody's doing the whole outside of the playoffs riding guys like a backpack. So that's like, that's something that uh, the NHL has kind of failed to do, or if they do adjust, it's too slowly and not enough. Yeah, definitely. And and again, my biggest thing is I just want to see most of these things kind of whatever you have in the regular season, you know, that level of consistency kind of maintain itself through the playoffs. I mean, I'm fine in terms of, you know, maybe the stakes heat up and, that's where when it comes to things like scrums and, you know, rough in calls, if you want to give it a little bit more leeway, just because, you know, those kind of heat of the moment situations happen and there's more that happens, um, you know, 
after the whistles. If that's the sort of thing thing that you maybe want to be a little bit more relaxed with than you are in the regular season, fine. I have no problems with that, right? Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone minds there being more emotional or or more chippy or more, more intense playoff series. Is. I think everyone loves it when there's some sense of rivalry in the playoffs. However, when it comes to between the whistles and the type of obstruction you're talking about, again, I, again, I just look back to McDavid against against Winnipeg and and just him being completely smothered. And that's just the type of thing that, you know, in the regular season, I don't think Winnipeg would have gotten away with nearly as much. And that's where it becomes, I think, psychological to some extent too, where I'm sure the officials look at the Jets and that's their entire game plan is Tom McDavid, right? And I'm sure that the refs also feel a certain level of, man, if we start cracking down on that, that's essentially the you know Winnipeg's. That's the series, right? They and that's I think at the uh, at the essence of things, why you sometimes have these issues is refs don't want refs, you know, at their core don't want to feel like they are impacting the game or or handing it to one team, um, and that's where you know it does sometimes hurt them to where. In a certain sense, they're, you know, in that case, when you're kind of siding with Winnipeg, you're ironically kind of handing it to um, Winnipeg. But that's, again, I, I just think it comes down to, as you, as you, I think you nailed it perfectly in terms of the league just has way more power on this than the officials themselves do. Yeah, they absolutely do. All right, uh, we'll probably wrap it a little bit early because it was a later start tonight and... Uh... <laughs> Fact is, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm having trouble keeping the energy up, but I really appreciate chatting with you, Harmon. It was great to actually like chat with you, I guess, over audio and like see you because we've chatted like in DMs and on Twitter. This is the first time we've actually talked, so it's great to like meet you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I really enjoyed it, and uh, it's too bad that uh, my uh, my headphones kind of died midway through. But uh, glad that we were able to truck through, and uh, I enjoyed it. Absolutely, man. Thanks, everybody, for watching us. And uh, make sure you download the SDPN app where you can find all of your Game Over stuff and also uh, some merch that you can purchase. It's very cool. There's lots of sweet stuff on there that you can look at and also all of your other SDPN content. Thanks, everybody, for watching on this Saturday night. We really appreciate you checking in with us while there's actually a game on to watch instead. So uh, we'll see you next week. I think there's off uh, schedule. It's not the Tuesday, Thursday usual thing next week. So I'll have to figure that out and uh, get back 